Welcome to the Week in Review on the Sourced podcast. My name is Michael Crutcher and back from overseas for episode number 105 is Jordan McDonald. Jordan, yes. welcome. Oh, it's good to be back. Very good to be back. I'm very grateful to Greeny for keeping the seat very warm. It's Stephen Green, our fill-in host last two weeks, and he'll come up a bit later in today's show. But yes. how was it? How was the trip? Very good. Very good break. Um, Ireland was excellent. Plenty of pints. Fantastic. Yes. Italy was great too. So it was just a bit out of that peak period, so it was very enjoyable. So you're only back less than 48 hours. How are you feeling? Pretty good. I um, My partner has a fantastic app where you put in all your flight information. It tells you when you should sleep and when to have caffeine and when not to. Really? I followed it like the law. Right. She did not. So she's paying for it. She was up at 3.30 <laughs> this morning wide awake and she just texted me before saying I'm crashing pretty badly. Oh, no. I followed it and I'm feeling fine. So what's the app do? So you, you get this app and you say you're going overseas. Yeah, so you, you, you put all your flight information in, so when you depart, when you land and uh, which countries you're visiting and it works out you need to sleep or nap for this amount of time on this flight and have caffeine at this time and then it'll say, because we had two flights to get over, so we were supposed to not sleep the first one have a little nap maybe if you could. Yeah. Have a little bit of caffeine in that one if you'd like just to get through. And then on the second wow. one, which is a longer haul, try and sleep six to eight hours on that, no caffeine. And uh, you would supposedly wake up pretty acclimated. When you well, there. there you go. Yeah. I wasn't aware of this app. That sounds I wasn't very aware good. either. It worked very well for you. Worked well for me. <laughs> very good. Few things to discuss today, including the breaking news of the resignation from the financial review of the rear window columnist Joe Aston. Yep, which is a shock in it media is. circles. And we've mentioned Joe Aston on this podcast many, many times recently for his work on Qantas. Uh, after twelve years, he's leaving the rear window column. He's got one week left next week, okay. which will be very interesting to see. And uh, nothing said about where he's going. Um, We'll wait and see what happens because his journalism has been um, the reason we believe that Qantas has got itself into where it has. But Definitely. He made the column must read and that's what you can say about very good columnists. They're not easy. The daily columns are the hardest things to do in journalism. Joe Aston has done that very well. He'll be missed from Rear Window but uh, we'll await further news because he has been someone who has impacted corporate Australia sizably with his excellent journalism. Okay, speaking of news outlets, Jordan, another episode in the uh, breakup of the relationship between uh, Meta and mainstream media news outlets. We've discussed this a few times, that the love affair, not really sure it was a love affair, it was more an arranged marriage really, uh, but the arranged marriage is over. Yep. So bad news this week in terms of um, what Meta's priority on news is with the resignation of Campbell Brown, a TV anchor who uh, was seen as one of Meta's leading uh, proponents of news. This has been reported by the guys in Axios who've done some good work on this yep. one. So yep. um, it's seen as another end in Meta's relationship with news outlets and a sign that it's looking to back away again from elevating news content and focus on entertainment and viral trends instead. So we've mentioned before that we've had 
significant money given to Australian news outlets from Meta. Meta yes. is looking to wind that up. We mentioned a few episodes ago that in Canada, where they pretty much just stopped um, posting mm-hmm. news there, yep. that there'd be no change in their traffic at all for them. So I think Australian news outlets can expect the same thing to happen here pretty soon. And yeah, on I'd top of that, so. there's some data as well there that Axios has on well, they talk about a real drop in traffic uh, to news sites from Facebook and Twitter, or X, as it wants to be known. Yep. And they use the term, the traffic has crated, which crated. is uh, a verb, apparently. <laughs> is that right? It's apparently a verb. Do you agree? Uh, I don't agree that it's <laughs> it's a verb, but I do believe that it is not a good sign for news outlets. So... That's been just another step along the way in this really interesting relationship. Um, the Axios guys also report that this week a bunch of uh, newspaper, digital and magazine news executives went to Washington, D.C. to lobby members of Congress on copyright protections to do with artificial intelligence. And what we've mentioned before is this is the thing for news outlets. Where do they get this revenue from? It's becoming harder and harder for them to make money. And we know that Meta is uh, moving away and that's been significant money for them. So where's the next revenue stream? Well, maybe it's AI. Yeah. And the argument from news outlets is, well, AI is scraping our news websites for its own ability to create content. Therefore, they should pay us for that so uh, yeah let's see how that goes they're desperate to get that revenue because they need it so we'll see uh, how that works Um, while you were gone Jordan when we're on this topic now one thing that we hadn't really spoken about was Twitter while you're away yeah but there has been a few updates and one this week in particular that is worth talking about because the the look of Twitter on your newsfeed seems to have changed. Yeah, it will look a little bit different because Twitter is no longer displaying headlines on articles posted on the platform. So what you'll see now is just the image or the thumbnail attached to the article and then where that article's from, which is the domain, uh, that'll be in the bottom left corner of that image. So if there's an article from CNN, you'll just see a little yep. transparent CNN in the bottom left corner of that, yep. of that uh, image. Now, Elon reckons this is going to improve the aesthetic of the feed, but we spoke about this before. I don't agree, and plenty of others don't agree as well. So, without the headlines, it's really difficult to actually know what the article's about. Yeah. You really have to try and decipher that. And this is just another nightmare for the news outlets, too. Yep. Elon said he wants users posting content directly on Twitter or X instead of just sharing links to existing content. And that baffles me why he would think that people would like to author their own thoughts <laughs> on his platform in long form. We've spoken plenty and you've ranted plenty about um, how ruthless Twitter is. So why would anyone want to put that to, onto, onto X? Why would they want to write yeah, that? I, well, I don't get it. It changes when you're putting links up there now. It changes exactly what you write because you don't have the supporting words from the URL. That's exactly it. So you've got to then change how you write it. We've seen a couple already that they really haven't got that because they've just got a, a picture there, which is the link, but you can't tell what the story is. That's it. And there's also been a heap of fake news going out now too because you can ultimately change what's written above it. And we yeah, could just, true. Yeah, so you're getting a lot of fake news coming out of it too. So, yeah. And look, he's removed the option to block people. So even if you've got a bunch of that through your feed 
it's becoming it's becoming a mess. It's it's already a mess, but it is messier. Yeah. And that's not the only bit of Twitter news that's been happening? No, we were speaking about this before. You told me that uh, Elon's been pretty vocal and I thought he was always fairly vocal. Yeah, but he's I, ramped it up. I had a look back and just two days ago, he was uh, he tweeted 12 times in that one day. Yeah, right. I mean, even for Elon, that's quite excessive. Yeah, he's had Not a really lot sure to say. what it's about, but I'm wondering if maybe he was trying to ignore that impending SEC lawsuit, which yes. has landed in news headlines today. So he's being investigated by the US Securities and Exchange Commission, which is the SEC, and that's regarding his $44 billion purchase of Twitter or X. The investigation is looking into whether he followed the rules when he bought Twitter shares and then how he talked about that deal. So back in 2022, uh, he bought a big chunk of Twitter, 9.2% of it, and he became the main owner then. But he didn't tell the SEC about that until a month later. And then some of the Twitter shareholders at the time weren't very happy about this. They sued him, but that was uh, ultimately thrown out. Musk then bought all of Twitter in the big yep. deal that was widely publicized. The $44 billion, the big, The big deal. So now the SEC wanted Musk to answer questions about all of this. At first he said yes, and then he changed his mind. But now the SEC is bolstered up and is saying, nah, we're legally going to push you to give us the answers. Anyway... Um, I read some more some news just before the podcast too that um, Twitter may also be rolling out some new subscription options for the premium service. Chasing money here, of I course. I know, I know, I know. So the tiers would be if they had to come uh, basic, which is cheaper, but you see lots of ads. Standard, which seems to be the current version of premium we have now. So the middle price with fewer ads, but then there'll be a plus, which is pricier, but zero ads. So look, he hopes. It's going to help boost subscriptions and combat the spam bots, which he's spoken about lots, the spam bots. Yes. Um, But the interesting uh, issue that this might help him with is related to the European rules for apps. So providing a paid ad-free option, Twitter will still be able to use data tracking tools because it technically offers users an option to opt out by paying. Okay. So, look, there's always movement at Twitter. We'll always keep an eye on it. Yeah, I've definitely noticed uh, the ad count seem to go up. Mm. Like, I did a little random experiment a couple of weeks ago and I was getting an ad every fifth post. Yeah, it's about the same as me. Yeah, so it's it's excessive. But, um, yeah, parting with money for it, that's another well, thing. I did have a point in here about threads too. Yeah, now Alan Roebuck yes. from the excellent Ipswich Today podcast. Very good. Alan has provided us with some very good info on threads because we haven't looked into that for a little while, but Alan's information here is very interesting. It is very interesting. I'll keep it short. Um, But to be honest, look, it's the same story as any other time we've mentioned threads. It is continuing to decline. So it's down 79% since its very peak, which is right at the start there. So (laughs) peaked early. It did peak right at the start there. So threads now, it started at 40, almost 50 million monthly active users. uh, Sorry, daily active users. But now it is down to 10.3 million daily active users. And they're only spending on average three minutes per day. Yeah. What's the point? That's not going to help business whatsoever there. No. So threads, we keep, we'll keep an eye on that one to see what's happening there. Well, Jordan, the last two weeks we've had, as I've already mentioned, the outstanding Stephen Green warming the seat 
And I thought Greedy was going to be back this week because, as we discussed, I forgot what day you were coming back in because I'm so organised. But Greeny's going to join us as a guest today. Greeny, welcome. Thanks for having me again. It's uh, good to see that you've uh, that you've been focusing on the ratings and you realise that uh, that having me on the pod, on the pod uh, makes those numbers go up. <laughs> They've been through the roof. Incredible. But Greeny, <laughs> speaking of ratings, we wanted you to come on today because we love you so much. And we've had such great feedback. But Radio Ratings, Greeny, were out this week. Survey six for the ratings for uh, nationally for the year. What are the trends we should take out of it, Greeny, the, the winners uh, and the losers and, and why Brisbane's a bit different to the rest of the country? Well, I think it's been a, a really interesting trend over the last few years where particularly Sydney, Melbourne and Perth um, have had really dominant and, and clear leaders in their, particularly in their breakfast shows. But uh, you've got Sydney where you've got Kyle and Jackie O and Ben Fordham that are, that are consistently fighting for number one and then I guess a major gap back for the rest. Um, you've got Nova that's completely dominant in Perth and in, in Melbourne, 3AW with a breakfast show over 20 points which uh, is almost unheard of so they're massive numbers aren't they oh absolutely those markets are reasonably settled and uh you know obviously there's there's lots of fights for who gets number two and three and four but brisbane's a really interesting case where for for a few years now there's just been a tussle for the top between really all four fm stations uh last C105 was on top, this book, Nova's on top, yep. and they just kind of seem to be tussling. This this book in particular, though, uh, Triple M, KISS, Nova, and B105 are all in the 11th, so they're all within within one point, which is essentially within the margin of error of, uh, of being number one. So it's, it's a fierce battle that's going on there. And what about AM, Greeny? It brings us to the story, which I, I think is one of the – most interesting stories of Brisbane's media scene this year, and that is the rise of 4BH, triple one six, and again, it's uh, performing so well on the AM um, ratings. W- what do we need to know about about 4BH? Absolutely. Well, 4BH is like the Stephen Bradbury of Brisbane radio, <laughs> where a few years ago, essentially it couldn't get itself arrested. Uh, Nine Radio had a had a crack at uh, at sport, and then shifted to talking lifestyle, and then yep. brought back brought back 4BH, but really couldn't make a goal of it. So in the end, ended up leasing the the station to a small regional broadcaster out of Victoria, Ace Broadcasters, and uh, not too long after that, Sen uh, decided to buy 4KQ and threw the format out, and all of a sudden. 4BH got handed a, the, the gift of, of essentially all of 4KQ's old listeners. They yep. took the format, they took the music and uh, brought back Barbecue Bob in, in what is potentially probably Australia's cheapest uh, radio station. The, the station itself is networked out of, out of Victoria with, with Bob doing breakfast from his house. Uh, so... Yeah, not not a lot of cost in that station, yeah, and, and they're really smashing it. If if you look at the the numbers, they're they're outdoing 4BC. They're neck and neck with uh, with ABC, and and Bob's really crushing it uh, on on breakfast there for for what is a you know, reasonably small outlay, I would suspect. And how do you monetize those older listeners, Granny? 
Well, that's that's the, the difficult thing. There's, there's, as uh, as a small media publisher myself, it's, uh, it's one thing to have a giant listenership, and it's a whole other thing to monetize it. And I think that's the the trick for uh, for radio broadcasters, and it's one of the reasons why uh, music radio is is difficult. That's aiming older is is finding the, the advertisers that want to go there. It's one of the tricks that I think uh, you know 4BC has probably got ahead of it uh, over the over the next uh, little while, where there's they've got such a strong uh, listener base in the over 65, but yep. really are not penetrating much below that, and that's going to be their uh, their trick. I mean, obviously, the Nine Radio knows what they're doing. You know, 4B, uh, 2GB is is doing a little bit better in that those slightly younger demographics. 3AW is definitely doing that. And if they, if before BC can start to get some of those forty plus listeners as opposed to just sixty five plus, um, that's where the growth can be for them. So, Greeny, where do we find you today? Uh, you find me at uh, Secular Key, looking out over uh, over the, the Sydney Opera House. And uh, I mean, every other time you call me, I'm usually uh, at a boozy lunch or something. But luckily, you've called me before midday, so I'm only on the way to a boozy lunch. <laughs> A boozy lunch in the Opera House district, Greedy. That sounds about your style. Well, you know, it's uh, I'm nothing if not cultured. <laughs> hey, we loved having you on the last two weeks, Greeny. Uh, enjoy lunch and thank you for your insights today. We'll catch up with you soon. Anytime. Welcome back, Jordan. Okay, now, Jordan, a massive weekend last weekend of sport in Australia. You weren't here, of course, in Australia, but did you get to watch the AFL and NRL Grand Finals? I sure did. I was, um, I can't remember where I was for the AFL. I was tucked into bed. That was 6.30 in the morning where I was, but okay. I managed to get it to, to manage to watch it. What did you watch it on? Uh, I watched it on a website, which I will not disclose because it allowed me access. <laughs> uh, it gave me access while I was overseas. It was fantastic. A very disappointing result. I'd rather get pumped than lose <laughs> by four, four points. Four points, yes. Um, but that seemed to be the theme of the weekend. <laughs> so you watched the NRL. That would have been, what, about lunchtime for you, was it roughly? Uh, it was around about 10.30. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that was a better, that was a bit more of a sleep in, which yep. was good. And that was a similar result. Now, of course, we love to look at what people are watching when it comes to these. And no surprise, the AFL won the battle of the TV ratings last weekend. The AFL Grand Final Saturday afternoon, 3.75 million viewers nationally. That includes uh, the metros, regional markets and also on streaming and the NRL clash, 3.52 million. So 3.75 v 3.52. An increase for both games on last year's numbers, which I'll be very happy about. Yep. Interestingly, one really um, interesting piece of data there was how many people in Melbourne were watching the NRL grand final and how many people in Sydney were watching the oh, AFL grand yeah, final. Right. Which uh, now, the, there were 324,000 people in Sydney watching the AFL on Saturday afternoon. And in Melbourne, there were 349,000 people watching the NRL. So, yeah, what we're seeing there is, of course, that the cities remain very loyal to their codes. They don't really get too much into the other codes at the moment watching that at this stage. Now, Jordan, we like to update on the Warner 
HBO plans here. Will Warner uh, come into Australia. Um, there's been an update this week. Yeah, it's bad news for Foxtel's bin. So Warner's, Warner's Brothers, Warner Brothers Discovery, I have that as a tongue twister apparently. <laughs> it is hard to say Warner Brothers it Discovery. It is a lot. It's a big name. Um, but they've announced that it's planning to, well, it plans to introduce its streaming platform Max in Australia by 2025. So currently there's popular shows produced by its HBO subsidiary like The Last of Us and Euphoria. Yeah. Watch both. They're brilliant. Succession. Indeed, indeed. So they're all available on Foxtel due to a licensing agreement that's in place now. This agreement, uh, which allows Foxtel to show the Warner Brothers Discovery's content in exchange for a fee, is going to be renegotiated in 2025. So the launch of Max will more than likely be a huge setback for Foxtel's streaming service Binge. It's likely that Foxtel will lose the rights to air that popular content mm. because yep. Warner Brothers Discovery would prefer to feature it exclusively on its platform. I yep. think that's pretty obvious. Um, but given the competitive streaming landscape in Australia with major players like Netflix and Disney+, Plus, I reckon losing such an attractive content library will make it pretty hard for Foxtel and, and Binge to retain and attract those subscribers all the same. So Warner Brothers Discovery has emphasised the profitability and it's optimistic about their Australian venture and I don't blame them. I think it's going to work out pretty well for them. They're aiming to be among the most dominant global streaming platforms in the coming years and they also have plans to collaborate with the local studios here. So... Right. Which they would probably have to uh, yes. under the content rules if that was the case, I'd imagine. Indeed. Um, yeah, very interesting that one. We've we've seen a bit of talk about this. One thing that I found interesting is that there was an article the Financial Review did this week which mentioned there were 15 paid streaming services in Australia. So 15? 15, yeah, 15 paid. I don't know if I could streaming. So there's the big ones. but Not all of those, sorry. As Finn Review says, don't forget there's also the likes of Britbox, Crunchyroll and Hayu. I've heard of Hayu, not, not, not the other two. Crunchyroll. That's no. our assignment for next week. Okay. What does Crunchyroll do? Uh, so, yeah, look, that that would be a blow for Foxtel and Binge. There's uh, no doubt about that. Massive, massive. Uh, they've had some wonderful shows which have attracted um, audiences that have come from the Warner Brothers HBO mm-hmm. library. So we'll see... What happens there? How many people are watching those shows? Well, that's always a topic we don't know because the streaming services don't release their numbers. But I just wanted to raise one piece that the Financial Review did do in the last seven days in which they called for uh, more transparent um, details about oh, the numbers yeah. watching streaming. More transparency. Which I found interesting because <laughs> the Financial Review is owned by Nine, yeah. which owns Stan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think newspapers are that transparent in their no. numbers anyway. No, I agree with that. Well, no newspaper in Australia will tell you how many copies of the paper they print every day. Surely not. They stopped doing that in 2017. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe, yeah, let's call for streaming services to uh, be transparent at the same time. Newspapers, tell us how many papers a day you print. That's also I agree. interesting if they can do that. Now, a story this week which got a bit of coverage around the place is to do with Microsoft's uh, testifying against about Google at a key trial in the US, Jordan, about monopolies. Yeah, so it's a story this week where Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, he's testified in a landmark antitrust trial against Google, saying it's hard for companies, even the size of something like Microsoft, to compete with Google's online search dominance. Oh, do we need some of that uh, sort of um, sort of music that sort of 
you know, sad music here as Microsoft yeah. complains about Yes, the Google. small violin, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The poor Microsoft here. Yeah, so if you're not aware of the lawsuit, the US government's pursuing an antitrust lawsuit against Google. And they're alleging that the company unlawfully maintained its monopoly in online search. So the central issue is Google's practice of paying to secure its position as the default search engine on various browsers and smartphones, which the government argues stifles competition. Yep. Uh, Google contends user, users can easily switch to other search engines if they choose. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not many will. But no. Anyway. Well, that's funnily enough what Nadella is saying. During the trial, Nadella described the internet as the Google web Ooh. and voiced concerns that Google's power could extend to future industries like artificial intelligence. Now, I do see what he's getting at there, but it's a bit early to talk about that, I reckon. Yes. Nadella argued, though, that against, sorry, argued against the user opt-out that Google was saying, saying that you, most users will just tend to stick with the default, yep. which is correct. He highlighted Google's advantage in securing default positions, noting Microsoft's Bing struggled to gain such positions themselves. Shocking. Now, despite a seeming truce between Microsoft and Google, which was back in 2016, this testimony is just revealing that there's still the same level of competition. Nothing too surprising there. The trial is being seen as a barometer for the government's ability to regulate big tech. Your thoughts? Oh, I'm devastated for Microsoft, how sad for them. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm a Google fan uh, at all, but I just don't see where, you know, these massive tech companies have ever shown that they're out for anything but their own profits. So Absolutely. This is a really interesting trial over there. I'm really keen to see what comes of it, but I'm not going to sit there and cry for Microsoft, nor will I cry for Google. Um, they're not the giants. Not at all. I don't think Microsoft would have any issue if it was in Google's position. Of course. It's just <laughs> unhappy because Bing isn't yeah. Google. Yes. That's, that's, that's all, exactly it. Yeah. So, uh, no. But really interesting to see the outcome of it. Now, speaking of Google, here we go, uh, annoying Microsoft. But the Google search trends for this week, we like to look at those to see what Australians are looking up. And it's been the weekend of sport. So the Cricket World Cup began yesterday and has been the number one search trend on Google in Australia by a long, long way, a massive amount. So the Cricket World Cup pretty much more than double the numbers it searched for the NRL and NRL Grand Final combined. So wow. it's sport. And That's it enormous. Is. And then coming in behind those, uh, again, more sport there. Yeah, we've got the NRL, Champions League, Newcastle and the PSG. Don't ask me what competition that is. There's that many of them. That, oh. is, the, that is the Champions League. So you've got a double barrel there, Newcastle versus uh, Paris Saint-Germain there. Okay. Now, I'm no expert on this, but again, um, that's a high count for Australia, I reckon. They're up in the top five, if you like. Yep. Um, yeah, followed by? The RBA interest rate. Pixel A, which I believe is the new Google phone. Is that correct? I think you're right there, yes. I think that. And then we have Reese Walsh. Reese Walsh made it. Reese Walsh has made it. As a search term this week, maybe for the glasses he wore when he arrived at uh, <laughs> the game, I'm not really maybe. sure. But it just goes to show that it's, uh, it's up there. Now, what's the first weekend back in Australia like for you? Oh, no rest for the weekend. I'm straight off to a wedding. <laughs> yeah. You're right. at the age where you're going to weddings. I know. Um, it's been a long while for me. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to one next month. Oh, there you go. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to one. It's my first one for a long time. Excellent. Well, I've got a wedding on on Sunday, which is such an unusual oh, day yes, for a wedding. Right. 
It yes. Um, not not a fan of the Sunday wedding, but we'll see how we go. Well, good luck. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good weekend. You too.